to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham coming at you today, nearly live from Ottawa, Ontario. Very excited to share with you today's episode. I've very much been looking forward to recording this one since I reached out to the various folks who are on this week's episode because I have noticed in the nearly 10 years that I have done this show that the podcasting space has changed significantly since we started way back in the spring of 2012. There are so many more shows out there, both history and non-history, but at the same time, the audience for those shows has greatly expanded. The, the numbers increase all the time. There, there's uh, just a wider swath of people who are accessing podcasts. And so the environment in which this show and, and all podcasts are created has changed a lot. And certainly anyone who listens to podcasts, which would include anyone listening to this right now, you know that the the space is continually evolving. and it doesn't stay static for very long. It wasn't that long ago that Serial came out, the true crime podcast from the folks at NPR. I think it's an NPR show in the United States. And that felt at the time like a game changer. It, there was even a parody on Saturday Night Live of Serial. And I remember in 2019 doing my course on the history of radio and I made a reference to Serial in the class, none of the students had ever heard of it, let alone listen to it. So that's how fast things can change. It was only three years or four years old at that point, but really things change very quickly in this space. So I wanted to reach out to some other history podcasters in Canada to get a sense of what they feel about this space, how they conceive of their shows, how they put their shows together, and just in general, get a sense of how everyone feels about podcasting, history and historical topics and doing so in Canada. So this is a great panel. I, I was so excited to talk to everybody. Uh, and I was so fortunate to be joined by Kathy Kinzora, who hosts History of the 90s, a wonderful podcast. Uh, one of her recent episodes was uh, the history of the Simpsons, amongst a ton of great stuff that she has put out. We're also joined by David Boris, the host of Cool Canadian History. He's been on the show before to talk about his own personal research. A wonderful guy. Uh, very happy to get the chance to speak with him again. And Craig Baird, the host of Canadian History X, amongst some other shows that he does. And that's Canadian History X, and, and X is E-H-X. Uh, just a, a, a wonderful show. And just before I reached out to Craig, I, I listened to his episode on women's suffrage, uh, if you want to find that one, it was from December 4th, 2021. A really wonderful episode there, amongst a lot of great stuff that he puts out. So I, I was thrilled to be joined by the three of them. Each of them lives in a different part of the country. Each of them have different approaches to their show, different backgrounds. So I, I was thrilled to have a chance to speak with each of them about their shows. And as I said, just podcasting in general, specifically with a historical focus and, and talking about topics in history that tends to not get a lot of coverage on other shows. I think it is a, a somewhat niche or specialized field of history podcasting, particularly in Canada. And, and these three folks had great insights, and it was a thrill for me to get a chance to talk with them. So let's get right into our Podcaster Roundtable episode. Hope you enjoy it. 
All right, and we are off and running on our podcaster roundtable. Very excited to be joined by Canadian history podcasters from across the country. Let's start out west with David Boris, the host of Cool Canadian History. Uh, he's been on the show before to talk about his personal research. Uh, then we move east. We got Craig Baird in Edmonton, the host of Canadian History X, and then. Mm-hmm. Kathy Kinzora joining us from Toronto, host of History of the 90s. Very excited that all of you could join me today. Thank you so much for being here. Looking forward to uh, chatting about each of your respective shows. So let's get right into that. Uh, and we'll go in the order I did the intros. Uh, just the, the thing that I, I'm most curious about for people who start podcasts uh, now uh, or recently uh, is sort of why, like, like, what is the motivation behind it, particularly in this space of history where the audiences can be not as large as potentially some other areas that you could go into for, for podcasting. So David, let's start with you. Uh, what was the motivation behind the show? Uh, how do you conceive of yourself uh, or of the show as fitting into the history space? Um, uh, great, great question to start off with. Uh, I, I, the show has been around for eight years. Um, and eight years ago, I had just started in my academic journey. I had gotten my first work out of my PhD and I was, uh, listening a lot to starting to listen to podcasts. I hadn't before then. And, and one of the sort of podcasts that really inspired me was Mike Duncan's history of Rome, which I'm sure a lot of people uh, are aware of. Um, and I thought, well, it's interesting that, you know, I wonder if there's a Canadian version of this and there really wasn't, I think at the time, I remember scouring podcast land and I only remember one Canadian history podcast in existence at the time. And at the time at the, that one, I, I felt I, I could bring something a bit different to it at, with my academic background. And so I decided, well, I would uh, start my own, a narrative based one, a bit more rooted in current scholarship and current research. So not sort of using outdated myths or outdated narratives, like something that was very current. And, and uh, so that inspired me and, you know, the first couple seasons were <laughs> touch and go learning experiences, but um, really at that time I wanted to fill uh, the history podcast space with something that was, you know, legitimate in terms of where the research was coming from and where the information was coming from. And so I, I saw myself at the time as providing that academic background to it, still trying to make it palatable for, for the layperson, but um, rooted in, you know, academic research and scholarship that reflected current stuff. Now today, uh, uh, I'm certainly not the only one doing that. You know, Craig does that and, and, and other people do that. So there, there are other podcasts in the house. I wouldn't say I have such a niche anymore, but certainly that was the motivation in the beginning. And, and Craig, what about you uh, with, with your show coming in? Uh, one, the title is very clever. I very much enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> it's a very clever idea to use uh, X in that way. Uh, but what was your motivation coming to your show? Um, well, at the time, I was working as a journalist, and I was a newspaper journalist, so I was kind of seeing the industry starting to kind of nosedive, and I was thinking, well, I got to find something else to do, and so I started freelance writing, and when I was freelance writing, I was listening to a lot of podcasts, uh, and uh, this was a few years ago, and the there's still not a lot of Canadian content out there, um, especially when I first started listening way back in like 2010. You know, if you wanted a history podcast, you had you had Rome, you had you know uh, American history. There wasn't a lot of Canadian content, so 
Um, I decided to start kind of making a podcast and uh, I started making it as a hobby and then part-time. And then when the uh, pandemic hit, I decided I'm just going to do this full-time now. And so I did. But for me, I wanted to kind of bring a lot of the stories that you don't always hear from Canadian history. Um, growing up in Alberta, we had a very Western-centric history, uh, the the Real Rebellion or Real Resistance, things like that. We didn't hear too much about uh, Eastern Canada or much about uh, the in, in Indigenous or anything like that. So I want to bring more kind of Indigenous history and unique bits of our history, apart from, you know, talking about Confederation or or the big things and, and have, you know, small town histories as well and things like that. So I could kind of fill that niche of, of the stories that you don't always hear uh, in Canadian history. And, uh, and that's just kind of where I started with it. And, and Kathy, what about you? Your, your show, the, the 90s show, mm-hmm. a little more recent than the, the other ones that we're, we have here in, in terms of the origins of it. Mm-hmm. So, so what's the origin story for that and, and your personal motivation to launch that show? I launched it about five years ago um, as the history of just 1995. And I was looking specifically at one year that I felt was an important year because um, a lot of big things happened, but I was a reporter in the nineties, a radio reporter. And a lot of those stories had stayed with me that I had covered and, you know, zoom ahead into the two thousands. I'm a big podcast listener as a former radio reporter. I love that medium And I came across some old tapes that I had in a box from the Paul Bernardo trial, which I covered in the 90s. And it was just a treasure trove. And I thought, geez, what can I do with these tapes? Because I had forgotten that I had them. And they were all the tapes from all the media scrums I had done while covering um, the trial and different interviews and that sort of thing. And, you know, put two and two together. And I was like, oh, I could do a podcast. And that was right around the time that Serial was out. So I thought, oh, I could do it in that type of format, retelling the trial. But then I thought, well, why not take it a step further and make it into uh, not just a, a, you know, a limited series, but something that could carry on. And so I did the history of 1995. And that was, um, you know, OJ Simpson, the Oklahoma City bombing, the, um, the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin, the Quebec referendum. So many big things happened that year. And eventually, um, you know, 95 was starting to run out of of ideas. So I expanded to the history of the 90s. And like you said, it's more modern. So initially, I didn't think of it as a history podcast. I thought maybe I thought I was fitting into more of a current affairs type thing. But, you know, the more I did it, the more I realized that it is a historical podcast, modern history, but, um, you know, does fit into into that uh, genre, I believe now. So, uh, you know, people are starting to pick up on it that maybe didn't live through the 90s. So it is history to them. Yeah, I know that I've taught courses where when I started, to, the first course I ever taught was 2011. And I could just say 9-11 and everyone's like, yeah, okay, mm. like you don't. But now I, I can't just do that. I have to say, here's yeah. what happened on 9-11. Here was the impact in the moment of it. Right. Right? So it's just that, that evolution. So yeah, so the 90s would certainly fit into that. Uh, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious for both of you, Kathy and Craig, that your journalist backgrounds, your reporter backgrounds, how does that help you, do you think? And, and maybe Craig, start with you. How does that help you tell historical stories? Because you're so used to in the moment reporting sort of minute by minute, if, if not day by day. How does that help you? How does that experience lead to telling a story from the past? Um, for me, 
I kind of started at the very bottom with like small town newspapers. So, um, and in those, you would be able to find the newspapers from decades ago. They always had them bound and kind of in a, in a, in a closet somewhere. And so I started going through those and then I started, uh, writing the histories that I found in those into the newspaper. And I found a lot of people were very interested in that. You know, these stories from the past that weren't grand stories, you know, they were some goofy story. Uh, like I, I just, I'm doing an episode on Tabor and there, I'm doing a segment about this guy with a wooden leg who caused this huge ruckus and was like beating people up with it. And it's just these stories that people want to read about in the past that they completely forgot about, whether it's funny or tragic or whatever it might be. And so I kind of took that into making the podcast and making writing about these stories that a lot of people don't know about, um, but that they would find interesting. Um, you know, there's a there's a picture of Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip sitting in lawn chairs because they went to a barbecue because their train stopped in Manitoba near this farm. Those kind of stories that are just so we don't hear about them, but they're they're funny and they're unique. And that's kind of what I want to do with the podcast. And then with my journalism background. Because I did a lot of research, I wrote a lot of, you know, large stories and things like that. I was able to take that and apply it to what I do and be able to write a lot of content and make it interesting by kind of honing what I what I did with the small town, uh, small town stories that I was writing and seeing what people wanted to hear about. And then I can apply that eventually to making a podcast about Canadian history. And Kathy, what about you? Is your experience similar to that? Yeah, well, for me, it I find that it, it kind of shows up in the way that I write each episode, like the traditional TikTok of, you know, the chronology of an event is a way that I often look at writing the podcast. So, you know, I, I can picture it in my mind, like I'm telling the story to someone who's reading it or hearing it as a news story, and then fill it in with some of the more, you know, the more colorful aspects that might not fit into um a regular reported story. So that's one way. But another thing um, is like I, that I like to consider is the impact of these stories that I'm telling on the media during that time period. So I'm always interested, like that always plays into it. Like how was this story covered in the media in the nineties? How was it treated? What, you know, where was it, um, popular and, and, you know, how did it uh, impact everyday lives through the media? So I think that, and I'm not sure if that's just because of it comes from that era or if that's my background being curious as to, well, what was the media doing? Cause I was there, but like, what were other media doing and how, how did it happen? Um, so it's, it's just an approach that I like to take with the episodes. Well, and it strikes me too, that for Kathy and Craig, your backgrounds, basically what you're you're describing is kind of what David and Mai's background would be in academia, that just in a different format, right? You, from the yeah. reporter background, you know, we go to the, as a student, you know, grad student, go to archives, try to suss things out, find things, do that investigation just in a, in a different form. Yeah. Uh, David, I, I don't know, do, do you sort of, does that resonate with you uh, when Craig and Kathy are talking about their backgrounds uh, investigating and, and sort of the surrounding circumstances behind events? It strikes me that that's just historical methodology in a different format. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, we're trying to get to the truth of the matter and uh, we're accessing whatever 
materials we find are relevant to finding that truth. And, and you know, in the historical sense, obviously, it's traditionally archives, though uh, that's changing now in history and for the better. Um, and for journalists, it's, you know, firsthand accounts, it's interviews, it's, you know, various other things that we might not always use in the, the deep, we might not even have access to in the historical, certainly the 1990s versus the 1930s, you know, the, the firsthand accounts are going to differ. Uh, but yeah, no, I think I think at the, at the core, we're trying to get to the truth of the matter. We, we're, it sounds like everybody seems to be um, on board of trying to find interesting stories from the past and trying to present them as contextually and uh, uh, factually as, as truthful as possible while still connecting to the human side of all these stories. Like Craig was talking about, you know, the Queen and Prince Philip sitting in lawn chairs, right? These are these are very, uh, very intriguing pictures. I can't get that out of my head right now, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> well, so, so that leads me to the question of style, because the three of you, your stylistically, your shows uh, are different from what I try to do. Uh, my motivation behind this show when I started it, when I think we recorded the first one in 2012, my motivation was just, uh, I want to talk to people. That, that was, uh, honest to God, that was my pitch to the people at Active History was, what if I just talked to people? Uh, my, the brilliant mind that I have of just talking to people. Um, and and the, the idea was, for me at least, I want to be, like, I'm interested in history, but I, you know, very specific topic that I study. And I want to talk to people outside of that. It's very rare that we've ever had anybody on the show who studies radio or even communications broadly, right? Because I want to talk to people who, who study things that I don't know about. I want to put myself try to be like the audience member in that sense and just ask questions that I hope the audience would want to ask or want to know. So that's sort of my approach to it. But you all go with a a more narrative style uh, and and sort of the research writing. So what was the decision behind that? Maybe Craig, I'll I'll start with you uh, to go narrative. And uh, what is the process of actually putting together the material to create the style that you want for your show? I think for me, it came from journalism and essentially I was writing stories for people to read. So I was kind of writing into the void and, you know, occasionally you'd see somebody on the street reading your story and be like, oh, that's really great. You know, you're kind of connecting with that person. And that kind of just worked for me. And so when I started doing the podcast, I thought um, I could have a co-host and things like that, but I kind of just want to tell these stories and tell them, you know, I'm essentially talking to my dog, who's always in my my office with me as I tell these stories. So he's kind of like my audience. And so that's kind of how I just started doing it. I'd, I'd write the whole script and I try and stick to my script. I don't have a lot of deviation or anything like that from it because I found that uh, that just worked for me. Um, and because I, I really like the research part of it. The irony is that with podcasting, the part that I dislike the most is actually the recording. Um, I like the, the, the research and the writing and putting it together and then I'll record it and I'll, you know, I'll record say a 40 minute episode, but it's 50 minutes because I have 10 minutes of me flubbing something and I got to go through and I got to edit it and I got to fix it. And I got to listen to my voice two or three times running through these episodes. So that part, I don't like, I, I like the writing and everything, but I, I enjoy what I do. I should, you know, bookend it with that. <laughs> um, but I, I just find it works well for me. Um, I have, I have kind of a very research analytical brain. I, I like to, to learn things and write about them. And the podcast was just an extension of that. I felt like that was the best way for me to take the, the passion that I have for Canadian history, the, the feeling that I have of, you know, Canadian history is, is got a lot of good things in it, a lot of bad things, but we should embrace it and learn about it and 
you know, growing up, we didn't. It was a lot of American history, uh, especially when I was in school, or very modern history like the Cold War. So I wanted to take my passion, and the best way to do that was to to write it out and then just kind of talk into the void and and hope that people enjoyed what I was putting out there. And Kathy, what about you? I call it a uh, documentary style. And um, I guess it, it is like a narrative nonfiction, but um, more documentary style, because what I do is drop in clips from people that I've interviewed for the episode um, that, you know, I'll pull a clip, which is an old radio style, right? That I would report out a story, interview someone and you drop a clip in. And so it's just an extended version of that. But also, uh, because I'm with a, a network, Curious Cast, um, which is owned by Chorus, all the global radio and TV, I have access to their news library. So I'm able to ask them to check for any news clips from the time period that I'm covering, and I can drop those in as well. So um, it, it's, it is, it, it's a true, I think, audio documentary style. But it, again, a script, I write a script, um, don't deviate really from the script and uh you know, it's not, it's not always for everyone. Some people like conversational, some people like script when someone's reading a script, some people don't. So, um, it, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a little different than a lot of podcasts have two hosts that are talking and that's very accessible, I think for people to listen to, but, um, you know, there's, a, I guess a style for everyone. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, no, no question. Uh, and yeah. there's space for it too, which is great yeah. about this, mm -hmm. this, the, the podcast space too. Uh, David, what about you? Uh, yeah, much like um, much like Craig, I, I I was more comfortable, I think, in in making the script uh, in writing it first. I think one of the things that drove me in the narrative style was that I was my my initial objective was to deliver content in a very like formatted way. So I didn't want to I didn't want to leave dead space or or I and I didn't you know frankly I was a bit lazy. I didn't want to go through editing stuff and, and trying to like <laughs> pick places that fell apart and didn't work. And I just was like it'd be it would just be easier for me if I if I wrote the script out. And obviously as a historian I have a lot of experience in writing. Um, not necessarily that doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily translate to writing for a, a listening audience all the time, but I had to work on that a little bit. But you know I thought just felt that I could deliver the episodes in the strongest fashion the most bang for your buck uh by writing the script and reading off it um i will say though in the last couple seasons we've been starting to hybridize into um blending interview episodes and narrative episodes and i know that in the new year um cool canadian history has joined with a, a company a production company and, and so i think we're going to be yeah, moving towards a blended format where probably two two narratives to one interview because i i've started to enjoy the interviews myself to be perfectly honest and I've, I've i find that certain times i get a lot more out of them than if i had done the research myself and written the script so i think i'll be i, I know we'll be going to a more hybrid format in the, in the new year but certainly to begin with the narrative felt like the most comfortable most effective way to deliver, to deliver the content in a sort of a listener friendly fashion well, I guess that leads to another question too about the topics that you pick for your your shows. Uh, you know, for Craig, David, and myself, just title wise, we have maybe a little more flexibility than you do, Kathy, where you're kind of bound to the '90s, obviously. Yeah. But you know, one of the one of the things that I wanted to do, and I think we've done a pretty good job creating for this particular show and with the website in general and the things I do for Active History is it can kind of be a catch-all. Like there's really nothing. I've only said no, I think, to two things that have 
been pitched to me. So I've been pretty lucky in that regard that, that I can pretty much say yes to most things that are of interest to me. But uh, Kathy, maybe we'll start with you. How do you go mm-hmm. about picking the topics for the show? And is there mm-hmm. ever any conflict or, or worry that a topic might not fit the style or the tone of the show mm-hmm. that you want to create? Well, so far, um, you know, obviously it's always 90s, but we're not specifically Canadian. We um, tell some Canadian stories, but we have told lots of stories that are either world stories or, you know, a a lot are focused in the U.S. as well. Um, So, so far there really hasn't been anything that, you know, has been pitched to me except... um, Someone suggested that I do, a lot of people have suggested the conflict in Ireland and the resolution of the troubles in 1995, I believe, is when the Good Friday Agreement was signed. And it is obviously an important story that happened in the 90s, but it feels like it's bigger than the 90s, obviously, and might not fit the format of our show, which is serious at times, but... um, I think uh, is also it, it might not be as accessible as some of the other topics. Although we did we did try to tackle the Middle East um, with the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin, which was also challenging. But um, yeah, so I, I think for me, it just it has to be something that uh, has impacted a lot of people, and that is still impacting us today. I think that's one of my more um, critical elements of picking a story is, is it something that we're still feeling the sort of the rever, you know, the results of years later um, on us today, like the introduction of the internet as an example and things like that. Uh, Craig, you mentioned too, that uh, for, for you, you know, good and bad at Canadian history is all there, but also maybe some of the smaller fun things that you can find in an mm. archive. So, archive. so how, how do you manage that, uh, that, that space? Um, I have kind of like, I have strict rules that I uh, apply to, to the show. So like every Wednesday is small town history. So I look at a small town in Canada and I talk about its history just because I, I find local histories to be some of the most interesting and I want to get that out there. And it's really great for shares and things like that, because then you get the town sending it out and everything. So that helps. But um, my main episodes are on Saturdays. And so I, at least once a month, I always have an Indigenous episode where I talk about something from Indigenous history. And then um, I usually just kind of pick things that I find interesting. My cutoff is about 1995, actually. Um, I think the most recent thing that I've done is the Shawinigan handshake. Uh, So I think that was February 1995. So that would be the most recent thing. I don't do anything uh, any closer to today after that. And whenever I have a month with five Saturdays, then I always do a nostalgia episode. So I'll talk about Mr. Dress Up or the Friendly Giant or the Beachcombers or Red Green Show, things like that, Uh, just because I really like those things and I like to talk about them. And they're fun episodes to do. Uh, When I would do Indigenous history or things like that, they can be often very downer episodes because there's a lot of things from Canadian history that aren't great. So I like kind of doing these happier episodes when I have five Saturdays. And then when I'm trying to pick things, it's just things that I I find interesting. Um, One reason that I started, you know, all these other, all my other Canadian history podcasts was because I found I just couldn't fit them all into Canadian history X or else I'd have episodes releasing, you know, almost every day. And I 
I don't want that. Um, so when I was thinking, well, I really like political history, I put that into another podcast. And I like early hockey history, so I put that into a podcast. So I kind of split things up that way to kind of make it easier for myself and, and not to inundate people with uh, all the content that I want to put out. But for me, it's about picking things that I find interesting because then I can take the passion that I have and the interest that I have and I can you know project that to the people that are listening. Uh, and David, you have a season model uh, th- for cool Canadian history. D- does that impact the topics at all? That did you try to create kind of a narrative through a season? No, I, yeah, it impacts the topics in the sense that I want to find balance in the variety of ways that Canadian history can be approached. Um, so, you know, I'm a military historian by trade, um, so I try to avoid military history as much as possible because I could easily go down the rabbit hole of far too much. I know that. I um, like during the anniversary of the First World War, I had quite a few more military history episodes during those seasons as we sort of commemorated the hundred years. But um, generally what I do is I I plan my season out in advance. It's biweekly. So every two weeks from September to the end of June, um, episodes come out and I try to plan it before the season starts. So I like list, I have a a whole list of potential topics, like a hundred, 200, 300 topics that keep, keeps growing. And so I try to like plan the whole season out before I go into the season. And so to make sure that I cover a wide variety of topics from indigenous history to women's history, to queer history, to labor history, to different regions, to um, media history and et cetera. So I try to, I try, uh, it doesn't always work, but I try to bring as much balance as possible. So that in every season, there is an episode or two for everyone, no matter what your inclination is regarding Canadian history. But then at the same time, things change and, you know, events happen that are rooted in history. uh, And, and, and sometimes if, there's a current event that has a long, you know, the statues, for instance, the Johnny McDonald statue coming down, residential schools, the recoveries of the mass graves. These things trigger uh, a change in format. And then all of a sudden I feel it's important to address those topics. But generally speaking, I try to balance it amongst all the realms or the genres of history as much as possible. Yeah. And that kind of leads us into the question too of audience, right? By trying to create that balance, something for everyone, which all of you have sort of mentioned in those answers. And I'll admit the the audience for this show, as I conceived it in 2012 when I pitched it, was me. I was trying to create something that I would want to listen to. That That is legitimately how I pitched it, is I want to create something that I would want to listen to. And in the 190 whatever shows we've done, there's only been a few that I have felt I haven't actually accomplished that for a variety of reasons. Uh, and I, you'll, I, you'll never get me to tell you which episodes I think those are. But, uh, you know, it has happened a couple of times where there's been ones where I'm like, I don't think I would want to listen to that. But generally speaking, that has been my motivation. And, and so in terms of that's how I think of the audience is if it's going to be of interest to me, hopefully there are going to be other people out there in the world who, who find it interesting. Uh, so maybe, David, because you mentioned, you know, military historian, you don't want to go into military history because you can go down that rabbit hole. Maybe that could be a, a limiting factor for some audience members. So how do you conceive of the audience and how do you try to reach whatever your target audience is? Um, well, I definitely conceive of the audience um, as, as an audience similar to myself. And I, I believe that all history is interesting. I really do. It sounds so cliched, but I, I truly do. I, I, there is rarely a historical topic, if well presented, that I, 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 w- I wouldn't be fascinated with. Um, and I believe that most people, most Canadians, if they listen to any sort of well-presented topic w- would find it interesting because it's part of you know our culture and the fabric of this country and the fabric of the peoples that live here and um so for me I, there's really no you know there's very rarely a topic that 
I won't cover it. It's, it's about time and space and, and expertise that really limits or, or, or focuses me on specific topics. If there's some like, you know, a good examples like Craig focusing on a lot of the small town history stuff. I, I often don't have access to a lot of small town um, sort of newspapers or information. I'm not even really familiar with researching small town history. So for me, that's sometimes a barrier for the way I might approach my episodes because I'm like a history of Tabor. I might be looking at that as a historian going, hmm, I'm not sure where to start with all of this, right? And Craig has this sort of already extensive experience in doing that. So those are the things that really affect uh, uh, my just choices. And in, in, in terms of the audience, I, I think of my audience is a broad spectrum of people with a broad spectrum of interest who I like to believe, whether naively or not, uh, would be interested in, in anything that's well presented and connected to some sort of bigger idea of, of being in Canada or being being or living in North America, et cetera. Well, sort of that, that is interesting to think, Craig, too, do you think when you do a small town episode, do you try to tailor it to that audience, to an audience from that specific location or, or is everything kind of the same for you and, and your audience remains unchanged? I try and make it so that my audience remains unchanged. I try and when I do the small town histories, you know, I, I do want to talk to the people who live in those small towns because they can go, oh, that's what that building is. And that's that history of that building or that's why that statue is there. But I also want to make it so that somebody who's listening to my podcast, who's on a road trip of Canada goes, oh, you know, Kindersley, Saskatchewan is Actually, I just saw a sign for that. And there's some really cool things there. And they turn off the road and they go there and they check out, you know, the museums or whatever it might be there. So I could still try and make it as broad as, pos uh, broad as possible because um, I think for, especially if you're a Canadian podcaster writing about Canadian history, you, you got to try and hit as many things as you can because the interest in Canadian history drops off dramatically as soon as you get past the border. Um, you still have people who do listen to it, but at least for me, my audience is... Canadian living in Canada. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be able to hit as many different things so that you, you get as many of the people listening as, as possible. And that can be very difficult because some people are only interested in, in some things. Like I, I know full well that there are people who don't care about the small town history. They want to hear, you know, about Avro Arrow or things like that, yeah. uh, the bigger histories. And so you just got to be like, okay, well, that will be an episode, but I'm still going to talk about the small town history because there are people who are interested in that. They may be a small segment, but they'll be really interested in the content you're putting out. And so that's what I try and remember. And Kathy, for you, you don't necessarily have the same geographic limitations potentially on audience, but you do have that, that very scary temporal situation that everyone who's ever done a history lecture worries about that somebody in the back will put up their hand and be like, oh, no, I lived through that. You got that wrong. Right. Like so you, so you have that thing of, you know, a good size of your audience will be people who lived through the 90s. Well, you'll also have audience members who did not live through the 90s. So that that creates an interesting dynamic for you. And, and how does that potentially influence the way you think of your audience? So initially, I thought like you thought of the audience as being someone like myself or close to my age that had lived through the 90s and um, knew these stories. But as it turns out, podcast listeners are a little bit younger, typically. So it were a lot of the times they were people who were very young in the 90s. And so they remember hearing about it. They would say, oh, I remember my parents talking about it, making me feel old. And then, um, but they want to know more. So it's great that way. So I've kind of had to course correct a little bit because people have said, you know, sometimes you refer to things as if we know what you're talking about, but we don't know what you're talking about. So could you give a little explainer? And so, you know, that that's definitely impacted it. But um, 
because it's all of the nineties too, though, I have to remember that, you know, there I've, people have asked me to do episodes on wrestling and race car driving. And then there's people who are interested in the music and different kinds of music. So I think, David, that you said it too, you know, you'd be interested in any historical story if it's told well. So that's my goal is, you know, to get people to come along for the ride, even if it's not a a topic they would necessarily be interested in. And people have said that like, oh, I didn't think I would be interested in the X-Files or whatever it is. And and, uh, that was a really interesting story. I didn't know that about it. So I think once you build a listenership, they, they kind of trust you and they trust that if you've picked it as a topic, that it must have some interest in it. So, you know, something interesting in it, and then they'll come along for the ride with you. What was the feedback uh, over the episode on the rave culture? Oh, that was fun. <laughs> there were uh, there were a lot of people who recalled it vividly, that, oh. that period. So they, uh, they were, they loved reminiscing about it. Um, it, it was a really fun episode actually. And, uh, it, it, a lot of people, it brought back a lot of memories for them and people sent me pictures and, you know, yeah, all kinds of things that, uh, yeah, it was interesting. I, I have to say there's a tiny bit of nostalgia in my past life too, but we won't yeah. let you do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting because I always wonder what's the difference in my podcast between nostalgia and history. It's somewhere yeah. like, you know, they, the two overlap and they're not necessarily the same thing, but I think. You know, they, they certainly they overlap. Both, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think they play into my podcast just because it's like mm-hmm. you're saying something that we've a, a, an era that most of the people listening have lived through. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's interesting too, Kathy. You mentioned that the audience will probably go along with you once you have a listenership. I remember uh, talking with Sebastian Major from Our Fake History. Uh, which is another one that I, I do enjoy. And he, he talked about that the audience does have to trust you and you have to build mm-hmm. that trust over time. And part of that for him was acknowledging mistakes when there's a mistake that gets yeah. through and just be honest. They, we got that wrong. Sorry. Uh, and just don't try to hide from that. Uh, and that's been something that I've tried to incorporate more in, in the show as well. And uh, in terms of responding to the topics too, like, you know, not going that, that there's a fear of going inside baseball sometimes because you're so enthusiastic about a topic mm-hmm. uh, and that could potentially break uh, some of that trust as well. So, you know, what is that process like for, for you? Kathy, I'll start with you on this because the idea of growing the show, growing the audience while maintaining that trust with the people who are already there, that strikes me as a balance that it can be hard to to go because you want to you know, reference things or maybe call back or just you know, really grow that relationship with the existing folks without making it unaccessible to other people who might right. be new to the show, listening for the first time. So how do you, how do you try to maintain that balance in order to grow the audience? Yeah, I think when it comes to you know the the biggest challenges over explaining things um, that for people that went through it, if you're over explaining it to the people who didn't go through it, I think it would be more offensive to those people that are getting over explained to, if you know what I mean. Because the person who can who didn't live through it, they can pause your podcast and Google it or you know check it on Wikipedia or whatever. So I try to err towards not over explaining things and not, uh, um, you know, not uh, making it like a one one on this topic. Like I- I'm hoping people come in with a little bit of knowledge about life, I guess, about the era and about the world around them, at least, 
you know, and, and making the assumption that all, all, most of my listeners are in North America, but we do have listeners in Australia and, and in the UK. And I often uh, worry about that because I think, you know, should I be doing stories from overseas as well? But, you know, it's, it's, it's something, I guess, at, at some point I may have to consider. Although, like, I mean, I did obviously like Princess Diana, but that's more of a world story, even though it's, it, mm. it's, it's set in the UK. And Craig, what about you? What What's the growth strategy for you? And how do you balance out stuff that you might put on the other feeds versus the main feed of Canadian History X and just trying to maintain the relationship with your various audiences that you would have in those different uh, in those different feeds? Um, I think like with what Kathy said, I don't try and over explain things too much. I don't want to go into too much detail. Like most of my scripts are uh, the episodes will be maybe 30, 40 minutes, but on average will be about 20 minutes. So I, I feel like I'm kind of like a, like a Cole's notes of Canadian history. Like I'll, I'll talk about some big things in Canadian history, but I'll, I won't go super into detail. You know, I'll talk about the, the more mainstream aspects of it because I, I don't want people to, I, I feel like, um, if I'm speaking to somebody for 40 minutes at length, they're going to get bored and probably fall asleep. So I want to make it interesting, but shorter and not get too far into it. And then when I'm trying to, you know, when, when I want to, when I'm focusing on the audiences, um, the people who listen to From John to Justin are very interested in Canadian politics and they'll listen to me talk about elections and prime ministers and such. Whereas in Canadian History X, I find they might not as be as interested in that. So I try and make it more general history. And in Canadian History X, it isn't over. I'm not talking about too much. I'm kind of maybe glossing over a few things, but still getting to a lot of the interesting aspects of it. Uh, with certain things with Canadian History X, I like to kind of do what Kathy does with uh, nostalgia. I mean, that's one reason why I really enjoy Kathy's show. The The episode on The Simpsons was was great. I I mean, I grew up with The Simpsons. I've watched it dozens of times. So it was nice to listen to that and, and think back to, you know, watching it for the first time in the 90s. Um, and so that's when I'm doing nostalgia episodes. That's what I'm trying to do with that to, to peak that uh, nostalgia aspect of it. Uh, and then with the other things, I mean, there's not a lot of people who are interested in early, early hockey history of the 1910s, 1920s, but I am. So I put that out there. I don't get a lot of views on it, but it's something I enjoy. And I think it's got a, a small but devoted audience who really enjoys it. Whereas if I put it in Canadian History X, I don't think a lot of people would be interested in it. So I just try and split things up like that and just keep it as general as possible. And David, you mentioned that you're going to have the hybrid model. Now you're going to bring in more interviews. How how are you planning on doing that without necessarily jarring the audience or, or you know, it's going to be new for your audience in that feed. So, so how do you manage that transition? Well, I mean, you just kind of do it and you hope that people just enjoy it. I mean, uh, I'm not, I don't, I don't really want to manage my audience per se. I'd, I'd rather they just, people just want to listen. They can listen. And, and I hope that, they, there's a, I think Kathy had said earlier on that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of different formats that people prefer. And, and in my, in my opinion, moving to a hybrid format actually increases the reach of the show as opposed to limits it, you know, and, and, and I think that there's more space for people to listen to an expert talk about their work as opposed to me tell, you know, pro provide them with a script based on their research, you know, and, and in some cases, I think the narrative format is super effective. And in other cases, I think the interview format is extremely effective. I, you know, I did an interview uh, uh, with an expert on residential schools, um, and 
there was no question that that had to be an interview. There was just no way that a white settler military historian was going to be able to appropriately tell a story about residential schools in, in what I felt would be a respectful and effective manner. So I, I chose to bring an interview on that. And, and there's other elements that it's not, it doesn't always have to be so deep and dark like that for the choice to be made. But at the end of the day, my hope is that my audience will uh, 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 find the, the change, you know, a, a nice change of pace and, and, and different opportunities to, to, to hear a different style and a different format presented, but still have the quality content that, that, I hope that my show is known for. So hopefully the audience just knows that this is an effective way to go forward for the show. Now, part of audience too is in one knowing the audience and that that goes not at just the individual sort of the demographic level, but also just numbers. And one of the things that I very rarely honestly look at is actually the numbers for this show. Uh, I, I find it tedious. I'm not overly interested uh, in it. I look every couple months and see what the trend lines are. And I only look at the trend lines. I, I never look at individual shows, except if I've one like stands out for one reason. Uh, but it does lead me to wonder because, you know, David, you mentioned you're bringing in a company, Kathy, you, you work with a company, mm -hmm. um, Craig, you, you know, you say so you do this full time. So, you know, the motivations for you all might be a little different than it, than it is for me and understanding the audience, uh, potentially, uh, monetizing the space that you're in as well, uh, if that's of interest, of course. Uh, but how do you try to then conceive of your show doing something that is genuine to you that, you, that you are fully invested in and interested in, while also potentially navigating the monetization space and trying to maintain whatever relationships you have to build there? Uh, Craig, let's start with you because you're doing this full time now. Um, for me, I do pay a lot of attention to the numbers because, you know, I want to see what works and what doesn't. And by doing that, it's allowed me to kind of adjust my show somewhat. Um, I did enjoy interviewing people and, and having them on the show and talking about whether it was their books or things like that. But I found at least for, for my show, it was causing my audience to dip. And so even though these were really easy episodes for me to do, because I didn't have to like write anything, I just had to talk and, and kind of ask questions and, and essentially learn. Um, I found when I would go to my audience, uh, I took a bit of a, a break in the summer and I said, let me know what you like, what you don't like. And I found that a lot of people were like, well, we don't really listen to the, to your interviews. And it's like, okay, well that's okay. So I kind of got rid of those. And I did find that my numbers had dipped each time I put an interview episode out. So I used the numbers to kind of, um, focus what I'm talking about and what people find interesting. If I'm seeing that they're not interested in a certain way that I'm going, then I'll, I'll readjust that and go a different way. And then I use the numbers to go to people and say, Hey, you know, these are my numbers. Would you be interested in putting something into this podcast or sponsoring an episode or things like that? And so that's for, at least for me, the numbers are, are important. They can be depressing at times too, when you're in a lull and you're like, what, what am I doing wrong? Why isn't this working? Um, but like you said, you kind of look at the, the trend lines, you know, if you look at individual episodes, sometimes you're like, well, that sucks. I put a lot of work into that. But if you look at the trend lines and as long as it's essentially going up, then you're doing the right thing. And I take that. And then I go to people and say, you know, can you help keep me doing this on a regular basis, essentially? Yeah. Like if you looked at all the episodes sort of after what March was it? 15th 2020 like everyone took it everyone tanked then or at least as far as i know everything i've read about it certainly the the shows that i'm involved with tanked for like the first month of this thing 
just just got crushed and then slowly things have have started to climb back but it, yeah so it's it's i find it very important when i look to look at the the trend lines for sure uh david what about you now that you're bringing in a, a production company that, you, that you're going to be collaborative in that sense uh, how do you conceive of the numbers and and what pressures potentially are now brought in with that relationship um uh, I, you know, I can be honest, I don't really pay much attention to the numbers. Um, I look, you know, every, every month, maybe I'll just like look and just, you know, like, I guess maybe the trend lines, I, I just see if they're growing and if it's growing, I don't particularly pick apart the individual episodes. Um, I, I, I don't, it's just not, not sort of a strategy that I've used in the show per se for, for, for better or for worse. Um, perhaps part of it is that I have, you know, I'm not doing this full time. So the, 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 the financial pressure on doing that, uh, uh, is not as great. Um, you know, I have, I have my job as a, as a, as a academic, but at this end, but with going on board with this company, uh, starting the new year and we're going to announce it all in the new year, this, you know, there is a, there is that monetization aspect. That's the reason we're working together. And frankly, I'm all for monetization. The simple fact is, uh, you know, when, when I started doing this, I did this, I know my spare time, but, you know, I had a full, you know, I have a full-time job. I, I, I have things I have to achieve in that job to, 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 to maintain my professional standards and, this is on the side, and and I, I'm I'm 100% behind monetization of, of anyone's uh, work because I think this is hard work, and I, I think you know right now you know we live in a we live in a world where intellectual property is getting cheaper and cheaper, and it's getting um, stolen from us more and more. And I don't think there's anything wrong with someone putting their hard intellectual work into something and and and, and hoping and and getting uh, a salary from it. So I'm I'm all for it, and and whatever strategies that means, then. I think it's it's well within you you know anyone's uh, I think I think it's a it's a positive thing in 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 this in this media form. Yeah, and and Kathy, of course, you have the partnership uh, with mm-hmm. uh, with a, with an organization that does podcasting. Uh, so mm-hmm. so, what interest do they have in the numbers, and who manages potentially the numbers? Is that something that they they oversee and that you have access to? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I do have access. They over, uh, they oversee the distribution of the podcast, but I do have access to the numbers to see uh, what we're doing. But uh, they look after the selling of any ads and anything on that end. I provide content. They provide um, everything else, basically. And uh, so it's not per se my issue, but, you know, I, I pay attention to the numbers, especially in the beginning to see that we were growing because, you know, you need to get to a certain point before you can start to monetize the podcast. So I was anxious to get there. And then once we got there, then I kind of stopped paying attention to the numbers quite as closely. And um, I've been interested to know which episodes people respond to more than others, but I haven't been able to tell that from the numbers. Always the numbers for every episode seem to be about the same, like within a couple thousand, right? But so I tend to look more at um, comments and uh, feedback that I get from listeners to tell me whether or not an episode is something that, you know, people were responding well to or not. So um, as opposed to the numbers, because to be honest, the, the analytics are still kind of a mystery to me of how, you know, Apple and all, all of the different uh, platforms come up with the, you know, is it that how many subscribers you have or how many downloads you have, how many listens, you know, it's, it, it, it gets a bit complicated. Yeah. Uh, and like I said earlier, a tedious to me uh, yeah. to try to conceive of all that. All I know is for sure is that there was one episode that I did early on, early ish in the run 
that I loved. I, I thought it was so interesting and uh, like nobody listened to it. And it just made me, it made me frankly kind of laugh because uh, I was so, I was, it was out of all the ones that I had done to that point, it was the one I was the most excited to record. It was the one I had the most fun recording. I even enjoyed editing it because I'm like you, Craig, I hate editing. But I was so invested in it. And then I looked at the numbers like two weeks later and it was just no one cared. And it made me sad, but like it also made me laugh that like that one. And I understand why nobody was interested in it. It was kind of a dark topic. But uh, anyway, uh, it, it it's sort of interesting, though, to try to try to make sense of the numbers because they can mean different things at yeah. different times. Uh, no, no question. So uh, but but at the same time, of course, p- the podcast space has very much changed since I started this uh, almost 10 years ago. And certainly since all of you started your shows, there's literally like millions of shows out there. So what is the podcast space to each of you? If you want to nail down specifically within the the Canadian history space or just in general, like getting found is really the hardest part of any show. I mean, for as much as booking guests can be hard or the editing, the recording, doing all the research, the writing, that pales in comparison to actually making sure somebody finds the show, right? That is so hard. So how do you try to navigate just the overall podcast space and then maybe specifically to the Canadian history podcast space? Because it is so heavy so so many folks are out there trying to do it and craig you're trying to do it with multiple shows um with me it's just it's just trying to make content that people are going to find interesting and hope that it gets found i mean it's i've been lucky in many ways you know being able to get you know to front page of apple and that helps boost numbers and things like that but i think um i think in some ways with canadian history we're a bit luckier because there are a lot of canadian history podcasts out there but not like a huge huge amount um i have a couple of friends who do a podcast where it's it's the two of them talking and talking about current events and things like that and they've said that since the pandemic happened and all of these celebrities got together with their friends and started making podcasts of them talking to each other their numbers have tanked and because they dominate the the you know you can't compete with with Jason Bateman talking to his friends about arrested development or whatever it might be there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, they've got the resources behind them. So I think with Canadian history, it might be a bit easier for uh, us to to get out there, but it's still hard. I mean, I try and put a lot of stuff on social media and I do, you know, on this day and things like that, just to try and build that audience and then hope that audience translates to listening to an episode. Or if they, you know, I put an episode on social media and they go, oh, that sounds interesting. And then they subscribe and then maybe they keep listening. So I, I try and do that and just try and get a wide variety of content out there and hope that some of it sticks and some people find it interesting and keep listening and then maybe share something and then tell their friends and and things like that. But it it can be a grind. You know, you, some people are interested in Canadian history and there's some Canadians who aren't and they're interested in American history. And, you know, you, you can't sometimes reach those people. So you just, you gotta have fun with what you're doing and hope that your enjoyment of it translates into people enjoying it and then sharing it and continuing to listen and being longtime listeners. Yeah. Uh, very, very well said uh, for sure. Thanks, Craig. Uh, David, what about, what about you in, in terms of navigating that, uh, that space? And I'd be curious too, like with the partnership too, that, that you're entering into, how, how does that help you with the overall podcast space and trying to navigate all the finer things that Craig was talking about? Well, I think, um, I mean, I think the first thing, I, I, and Craig kind of touched on it, um, you know, you, I think there's a certain 
uh, level of you kind of have to just put it out there and, and, and let it go. Um, I, I, you can't really stress too much about it as much as we want to. You just have to hope. You know, I always think of it in, in two terms, uh, quality and consistency. Um, if you only make 10 shows a year, make 10 shows a year every year for multiple years and make sure that those 10 shows are high quality. And I believe that if you do that, you will, you will, there will be a space for you. I think what happens in the, the podcast world is so chaotic. Uh, you know, there's, it's no, there's nothing's vetted really beyond like sort of co- like language and things like that, that there, there are other, there's multiple podcasts out there on a variety of topics that are rooted in reading off Wikipedia and then recording it and submitting it to the, to the world. Right. Um, so I think people do want quality and I think people want consistency. And I think if you provide that in whatever topic you're, you're dealing with, I think you will find a listenership. It doesn't matter what, um, like Craig said, in the Canadian history realm, there's a, there's a limited space. There's a glass ceiling to it. There's only so, so much you're going to be able to do after a while. And, and that's the accept. I mean, that's the field we work in, right? I mean, we're just not going to appeal to tens of millions of Americans. It's just not going to happen. Um, but that being said, that's okay. That's that's the choices we've made in, in this realm. The partnership, I mean, my hope is that this partnership just expands the reach of it to other podcasts, um, and not just in terms of cool Canadian history, but in terms of my involvement in, in, in other uh, podcasting realms as well. So this is also a personal media move as much as it is the podcast itself. And because I want I, you know, I'm a military historian. There's other areas that I'm very interested in, media history as well music history. These are topics that are very dear to my heart and I lecture and write on them frequently. And, and, you know, so there's, there's kind of this across promotional purposes that I'm hoping this partnership will, will be able to facilitate. But generally speaking, I do, I do at the core of it, I think content and quality, Um, people want to know that they can trust the the content that's coming at them and they want to, they want to know that it's consistent uh, and that they, they can rely on it, whether it's 10 episodes a year, 40 episodes, every Saturday, every Monday, what, what have you. I think I think that's a very important component of being able to reach as many people as possible. And part of the trust, too, right? The consistency yeah. and the quality that, that speaks to the, the trust element as well. Yeah. And uh, Kathy, for you, you not only have to navigate sort of maybe the podcast space, but also within the organization that you're part of. I'm sure there's factors in there of, uh, you know, the different shows that that exist within the, the organization. So how, how do you manage those relationships and and try to figure out where you fit within the larger space. Yeah, it, it being with a with a podcast network has actually overall been great because uh it does give me the opportunity to um present the show to a larger market through their marketing department. But also um to partner up with uh, a host of one of our other podcasts, the ongoing history of new music with Alan Cross, who, you know, has uh, been in radio for, uh, for over 30 years doing this show and has a successful podcast, but I was able to have him come on and talk to me about grunge music because um, we did an episode on that. So it's great to be able to, you know, do these crossover episodes with hosts uh, from within our organization because from everything that I've read and what I've heard, you know, anecdotally, the best way to grow a podcast is by having your show mentioned on someone else's podcast, whether it be like a promo swap or uh, an interview or whatever it is. Um, you know, it, it is definitely the best way to grow your show is to, um, you know, a captive audience hearing about it from the host of a show that they already like. So, you know, it's, it's, Outside of 
everything else we've done, like we've run commercials on our radio stations, on our, you know, um, throughout the chorus network. But I still think when my show is mentioned on someone else's show, it, it get a lot more pickup. And that's why I'm sure everyone said yes when I reached out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, I, I'm curious. I, I've had students do, I don't call them podcasts as assignments, uh, I, but I have them do audio submissions for, for assignments. And it's been interesting to see. I've done it for the past five years or so. And when I started, I had to walk everyone through the audio editing process, like about two thirds of the class stayed behind for a workshop on how to edit. Last time I did it of a class of 25, I think two people stayed. So it's been interesting to me just to see that evolution of, of audio editing that people seem to know how to do it as more people get involved as the podcast podcast space continues to grow. But, but I'm curious to ask each of you, would you advise a young person to start a history podcast? Is that something that based on your experience, you would say to them, yeah, that's a good idea. You should invest your energy into this. And David, you, you work with young people, you're, you're teaching them. What, what would your initial reaction to a student coming to you and saying, I think I want to start a history podcast. What, what would you say to them? Well, I mean, I would, I would say if that's something uh, that they're really interested in, I think that's important, but Boy, I mean, it's, there's a lot of elements to it that I think, you know, you know, it's a, it's a trial by error process, you know, and, and on top of it, I think if you don't have the skills and, and I, you know, speak to the journalist skills, the historical skills, I mean, there's, there's, there's a skill set to, to create quality content. There's a skill set to ensure that you're providing information that's presented in, a, in an appropriate manner. And I, and I would say that if you're going to go into podcasting, you, you need to build those skill sets, be it if you become a journalist or go to journalist school or become a historian or what have you. I think there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of building blocks that need to go in it before you deliver effective content. And on top of it, you know, it's not a, it's not a money making. It's not a very lucrative industry for those of us who are trying to do it independently. And, and if you have the time and you have the energy and, and you're, you, it's a passion, then yeah, of course, pursue it. But be wary of, of the building blocks required to be successful at it. If, if what you want is success, if you just want to put stuff out there, then rock and roll, go ahead. But if you, if you plan to create the best podcast or the best one in, in a specific topic, then there's a lot of building blocks and, and, and skill sets that need to be um, built up before I think that can effectively be done. Yeah. And a lot of failure along the way too. I think that is sort of goes along with that. Uh, but Kathy, what, what would your advice be to any young aspiring podcasters out there? Again, I, I completely agree that I would ask them, what's the reason? Why are you doing it? Like, what are you hoping to get out of it? I had a friend who recently started a podcast and that's exactly what I said to her was like, well, what are you hoping to get out of it? If you're, if, if, if you're hoping to make a lot of money and instantly get a ton of listeners, then you're probably going in and into it for the wrong reasons because it is, it's a lot of work. It's a tough grind and, um, very hard to grow an audience. So you have to, again, like, like you were saying that you have to be doing it because it's a passion. So if it's, if it's something uh, that's a passion, I would say go for it, but it's also, it's, it's a way to, to build skills too, right? Like that may translate into something else at some point in your career. It might yeah, be something really you can point back to and say, well, I did host this podcast and, and, and you definitely, even myself with, you know, a number of years of experience as a journalist and a writer, I feel like in the past two years, my writing has gone up another notch in terms of being able to write 
um, you know, for, for audio better than I had been even just a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree on that too, that the, the others, the outside benefits of it are huge. And, and to me, monetarily, they can be, they can be huge too. Uh, I, I, no one has confirmed this to me, but I'm convinced that I've gotten jobs because of the show, uh, because mm, I do the show. Like, uh, now the people will say, no, it's because of all this other stuff that was on mm. your application. I'm like, no, I think it was because of this, this one thing, uh, or, or at least it contributed to it. Like it, it certainly yeah. helped my case, uh, get certain jobs or, or contracts that I've done. Uh, so, you know, the, the, you know, this show hasn't been monetized for a variety of reasons, not least of which is the relationship with active history, uh, where the, which isn't monetized as an intentional choice by the website. So that, and I'm okay with that. It just, but it has led to things like I haven't like, so I haven't made money off the show, but I feel like it has been beneficial to me uh, from a monetary standpoint to do it. There's no Uh, question that the podcast, the podcast world is coming to the mainstream. I mean, I think, I think in academics and I think in journalism, I think there, you know, serial is a great example. You mentioned that earlier, Kathy. I mean, that podcasting is not a fringe medium anymore. And, 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 and podcast hosts are, are being taken seriously in their respective fields in whatever form that they're delivering it. And, and that's, probably a reflection of that because academics is so much slower than everyone else and accepting the new media, right? Um, so, yeah. but that's probably a reflection of the fact that even academics are now recognizing and the ac- academe, academia is recognizing that these are legitimate forms of distributing knowledge and these have to be embraced in some capacity. Yeah. When I started the show, I was three years into the PhD, two or three years into the PhD. And every single faculty member I talked to said, don't do this. This is a waste of your time. Uh, and I'm very happy I ignored all of that advice. Uh, well-meaning wow. advice, uh, but I'm very glad that I uh, ignored it, uh, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, but Craig, uh, do you have a different perspective on this? And uh, you know, if, if you had somebody come to you as the expert that you are in the space, what, what would you tell them? Um, I, I agree with both what Kathy and David said. It, you know, if you're doing it because you love history and you just want to talk about it and write about it, then you know what, have at it and, and have fun with it. If you are going into it thinking, you know, you're going to be hitting Joe Rogan numbers, well, you're probably not <laughs> going to. And <laughs> um, it, and if you do go into it and you're like, I want to make money off of it, then like what David said, you know, you got to be consistent and you got to, you got to put so much into this and you got to continually improve your skills. And, you know, the first few times you listen to yourself recording, you might be like, oh, I just don't want to do this. You got to, you got to put out the best content that you can. Like it, for me, it's, it's all day, every day of, of doing this. And you got to make that commitment if you want it to make it something more than just you know, a passion project, a hobby that, that you really enjoy. But if it is just a hobby for you, you just want to talk about something that interests you, then then go for it because you never know what's going to happen from it and you'll improve as you go. Um, your first episodes might be horrible, but as you go and as you learn, they'll continually improve. Yeah. If anyone, if you're in the feed, if you're listening to this on the, the History Slam feed and you want to scroll back to episode one, uh, it's no good. It's terrible. Uh, and it's not it's not the fault of the guest. It's totally my fault. Uh, it's Ian Milligan. He was great. But uh, the show itself is not very good. But here we are, 190 whatever later, and uh, it's better now. And uh, you sort of grow. And that was sort of my process, that I, I started it kind of as a hobby and almost as a challenge from the website in, the, in a sense, because uh, I was sh- sort of shooting my mouth off at a conference. Uh, that, hey, you guys should do something in the podcast space. And they're like, oh, you do it then. And uh, this is how we ended up with it. But yeah, it's sort of, you know, it it took a while to get into it and to get used to editing, to get used to my voice, to get used to 
all the mistakes that I was making on the show. Uh, and you just get better. You get more comfortable with it. And you kind of find what you want the show to be. The, sh- the show now is different from what the show started as from in a lot of ways. I mean, the core tenet of me talking to people is the same, but it, it's changed and it's evolved. And I think it's better and I have more fun doing it than I did back then. And so we continue, we continue to do it. So this has been uh, so interesting to me to get all of your uh, perspectives on, uh, on your shows. So uh, let's do some plugs because uh, Kathy said this is the best way to get people to, uh, to find. We have a captive <laughs> audience now. Uh, so let's, uh, let's go across. Uh, Kathy, uh, where can people find History of the 90s and, and some of your other work uh, if they want to catch up on what you're doing? So History of the 90s uh, is available on all of the streaming uh, platforms and uh, it's part of Curious Cast uh, Podcast Network. So their website is curiouscast.ca. And I'm on social media at um, That 90s Podcast, uh, on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and uh, Twitter as well. And I've just started a Substack newsletter. Um, so it's history of the 90s dot substack dot com, I think. So something to, something like that. History of the 90s Podcast. This is bad that I don't know, but I literally <laughs> just started it last week. So if you type in history of the 90s on Substack, it'll pop up. All right. Uh, Craig, what about you? If people want to find not only Canadian History X, but all your other shows, where, where would you send them to? Uh, well, Canadian History X, From John to Justin, Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War are on all podcast platforms. Uh, you can find them wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, I'm on social media, Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D on Twitter. And then I'm on Instagram as Bairdo37. And um, if you don't want to listen to the podcast, but you want to read, uh, then I've got all of the transcripts of every podcast episode I've ever done on my website. So there's about, I think we're coming up on 700 posts now uh, about every possible thing you could think of under the Canadian rainbow. Uh, and that's just at CanadaEHX.com. And you'll find, you can listen to the episodes there as well on the the posts, or you can read the posts and, uh, you know, become a patron and donate and all of that. <laughs> and having the transcripts is good. I've heard from a lot of faculty members at schools across the country who want to use more podcasts, but can't because they're not all uh, available uh, in a written format with the transcript. So it's great that you have those. So any faculty members who might be listening, uh, <laughs> go through Craig's uh, catalog of stuff that if you want to use podcasts, because the transcripts are available. So that's, uh, that's great to know. Uh, and David, what about you? Uh, you can find Cool Canadian History on all podcast platforms. Uh, we're also on Instagram, uh, Cool Canadian History. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at Doc Boris at D O C B O R Y S. And if you're interested in um, my own personal research, I just had a book come out with McGill Queens Press, which we did an episode on with you, Sean. Uh, Civilians yep. at the Sharp End. And so, if you're interested in um, uh, an obscure branch of the Army during the Second World War, dealing with civilian populations in war-torn areas, that book is for you. So check it out. Yeah, check it out in the feed. Episode 180 something. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head but yeah uh, go check that out that was a fun conversation uh, yeah, so definitely uh definitely check that out in the book so uh kathy Gonzora, david boris craig baird thank you so much for doing this this is a lot of fun thanks guys thank you thanks so there you have it my discussion with kathy Gonzora, david boris and craig baird and i thank them for joining me and for their time and do check out each of their shows we will link to their respective pages in the comments, if you're listening to this uh, on your podcast feed, 
Just go into the show notes, check it there, or head on over to activehistory.ca. We'll link to everything in the post associated with this episode. Uh, Each of them are doing great stuff and certainly encourage you to check those ones out. Subscribe, do the ratings, do all the stuff that I ask you to do for this show. Do it for them too. It's a cool community. I love being a part of it. And it's so much fun for me to see the awesome work that other people are doing in this space. And it kind of encourages me to keep going and to want to keep up with them in whatever way I can. I know we do different types of shows, but it it encourages me that uh, it sort of motivates me to want to keep going and really get better to match what they're doing. It's a a fun, fun thing for me to see the amazing works going out in the space. So again, my thanks to Kathy, David, and Craig, and that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you, everybody for listening. I always appreciate it. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show wherever it is you get your podcast. Do likes, ratings, comments, all that good stuff helps other people find the show, keeps us growing here on the History Slam as we make our run to episode 200. And of course, do head on over activehistory.ca. You can check out all of our past episodes under the podcast tab, as well as all the great written material over on the site. And of course, tomorrow. December 17th, 2021, Aaron Boys and I, the man, the myth, the legend himself, has joined me again for our annual year in review 100 years later as we look back on 1921. Really interesting year back 1921. It didn't have the signature moment like some of the other years we reviewed had. So it was kind of fun for us to look at events that don't quite exist in the popular memory the same way as, say, the Russian Revolution did uh, a few years ago in, in that year and review 100 years later. So uh, a lot of fun stuff, stuff you might not be familiar with. So do check that one out on Friday, our year in review 100 years later, one of our favorite things to do each and every year. And as always, if you want to let me know what you want to hear on the show, you can reach out historyslam at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at the Sean Graham. So thanks again, everybody, for listening. We'll be back with you again next week. But until then, if you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. Thanks for listening to the History Slam podcast. Be sure to check out Active History for more features, articles, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.